chapter 12. This morning I want to talk to you about vision. In Proverbs chapter 28, excuse me, 29, verse 18, this is what it says. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, I had to look up some other translations to get a better idea about what this proverb means. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, but it kind of seems random at times. There's just a lot of really good sayings in there, and it's just kind of jumbled into one book. But it, in Proverbs 29, 18, this is what it says. Where there is no revelation, think about the word revelation, think about revealing, eyes opened. And when somebody reveals something to you, they, they open it, they bring it to your understanding, to your, your attention. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And I like what one translation, it says, where there's no revelation, the people run wild. There's no direction. They're just kind of chaos. But happy is he who keeps the law. Or one translation said, but happy is he who follows God's instruction. Now, where there's no vision, we can't see where we're going. But when there is vision, the person that receives it is happy, or the Old Testament word for happy would be blessed. Oh, how happy is he. And so happy is the one who follows God's instruction. So the question becomes, how do we get God's instruction? Well, he talks about those who don't have revelation, those who haven't been, had the truth revealed to them don't have instruction. They're ignorant. They're unaware. They're not educated on what they need to be for direction. It's like yesterday we took a trip to St. Louis. And before we got ready to go, Kelly was like, I don't know how people used to travel with those paper maps. You like unfold the thing and it's covering the whole dashboard and you're like, how in the world do we get there? You can't zoom in like you can on Google Maps. But you need revelation. You need the, the way that you're going to get to where you want to go revealed to you, right? Well, that's the same for the Christian life. And so today, Paul is continuing to speak to people that call themselves apostles of God, and he's speaking to the Corinthian church, specifically saying, hey, there's these people that have come in, they've said that they're apostles, and yet what I want to point out to you is that they're different than me. Because they were saying, well, Paul's not really apostle for many reasons. First of all, he doesn't take payment. Uh, he, he won't let you pay him. Second of all, you know, he comes in and he, he doesn't even look cool. Like he doesn't even have skinny jeans on or like he, he doesn't have whatever you would consider something that makes you look prominent. You know, we see someone on TV and presidential candidates, they will dress a certain way because they know there's an expectation by the people that they want to get to vote for them. They'll dress a certain way because they know that that's the office and that's what it calls for, some prestige, some nice suit. You know, not too nice because then they'll think that you are basically too rich, but not too crummy because they want you to be respected. And so, you know, people dress a certain way. They dress the part. I heard a, a guy say one time, he said, if you're, when you're going to work, dress for the job that you want. You know, if you want to be promoted, dress like the next person up that you want their job. Dress nicely. So Paul said, hey, look, just because my appearance was lacking has nothing to do with my calling with the calling that God's placed on my life. And so he said, you know, so all these things that they were saying about Paul, Paul said, that's fine, they can say all that they want, but look at my life and see if what my life 
lives out matches up with what I've taught you. And so in chapter 11, he had written to them and he said, you know what? I'm going to do something foolish. I'm going to brag. I'm going to boast. But when he got done, here's what he said. He says, I won't boast in anything except the things that were really my weaknesses. He says, the things that I boast about are actually not going to be anything that has to do with how great I am. If anything, I'm going to boast about how God used me despite me. Despite everything that I brought to the table, God has done amazing things. He was reluctant to boast about God's faithfulness in his life. Sorry, he was reluctant to boast about his life and how God had been faithful is really the thing he should be boasting about. He said in verse 22 of chapter 11, Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Well, just because they were Hebrews doesn't mean that God would use them. There were many people who called themselves Hebrews that did not follow Jesus. He said, are they ministers of Christ, verse 23? He says, well, I speak as a fool, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm more of a minister of Christ. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, I got whipped by the Jews. They scourged me. He says, three times I was beaten with rods meaning I was stoned by, or I was beaten with rods by the Gentiles and the Jews. Um, he says, in journeys often, excuse me, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, and in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, on top of all this, what comes upon me daily, which is my deep concern for all the churches. He had a deep concern for the people that he served and loved and shared the gospel with. On top of that big list, now, I don't know about you guys, but I read that list and I go, why in the world did Paul keep going at all? What was the fuel that kept his fire going? Because it seems to me like everything that he listed there, if you had a fire and you wanted to keep it going, you would not dump that stuff on it. That'd be like a bucket of cold water to anyone who was serving for the wrong reasons. But for Paul, there was something that kept him going that nobody could see on his outward appearance. There was something that kept Paul going that wasn't manifested in any other way than in his personal devotion to the Lord. And I want to make a case for that today as he goes on in chapter 12. He says this in verse 1. He says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Revelations, we talked about that, right? That's not the book. The book is Revelation. It's the single revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what that old, you know, the, the last book in the Bible is. He's not talking about the book of Revelation. He's saying, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast or to brag. He says, now I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Things that God has revealed to me. Who does God reveal things to? Does he reveal them to people who don't follow him? Does he reveal them to people who do follow him? Does he reveal them to everybody who follows him? 
God reveals himself to whom he reveals himself to. I was reading Daniel this morning, and it says there in Daniel that, that actually God revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an ungodly man. He was a ruler over the largest kingdom in the entire world. And it says there that God revealed things to Nebuchadnezzar through dreams. Now, here's the problem. Nebuchadnezzar did not know the interpretation of those dreams. He only knew what he dreamed. And frankly, he was scared. And so it caused him to have many questions. And so as he called to his magicians and his satraps and and all the other diviners, you know, they had people in that day that would kill an animal, they would cut it open, then they would cut open the entrails, sorry, and then they would look at the inside of the entrails and they would interpret things. They would, and, and we laugh at that, right? But we have people that get out a deck of cards and they start dealing them and they look at them and they go, well, here's your future. Or when I was growing up, they would say, here's how long, how you know how long you're going to live. You look at this line on your hand. If it's a short one, you're not going to live very long. It's a long, you know, and we have things like that that are superstitions. There are many things that are come from cults, uh, things that are not of God. There is a very real dark demonic realm where there's somehow that things that can be revealed. But what I'm going to say is that because Nebuchadnezzar had been revealed things by God, he had questions and it caused him to look for answers. And when he looked for those answers, God had just placed this individual who is one of my favorite Old Testament characters by the name of Daniel. And Daniel just so happened to be there. Many people would say, He's not a godly man because if he was, then he would be in God's land. But God, for Nebuchadnezzar, had taken Daniel out of his place of blessing in the nation of Israel and taken him off to captivity. But while he was there in captivity, God used him to speak to Nebuchadnezzar about these dreams and give him interpretations. He revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar through dreams and through his people. God desires to use you and I, to reveal himself to the people around us that don't know him. And might I say, even the most ungodly ones that you can think of, the people that you cannot stand, that you don't want your kids around, God wants to reveal himself to them through you. And I know this because that's something that God does. And so here we are in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, and God is revealing himself to Paul And Paul gives a specific example of this. So in verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I don't know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet not of myself I will not, yet of myself I will not boast except in my sicknesses and in my infirmities. So Paul says, I know a man. Now, have you ever told a story about like that? I was watching um, Andy Griffith. Forgive me, I probably referenced that a lot, but it's all I watch. I was watching that one day, and Opie had done something wrong. So he came to his dad, Andy, and he said, Hey, Dad, if I knew someone that did such and such, and 
and just consider the fact that, you know, it might be somebody I know. Like, what, what would happen to so-and-so if, if they did this and then they told you about it? What would you do? You know, of course, he's trying to avoid getting in trouble himself because he's really talking about himself. Well, that's what, that's what these guys would do. This, that's what the, the Hebrew teachers would do. Except they weren't in trouble. They would just introduce themselves by speaking in third person. I know a man who does such and such and is with such and such and comes from such and such. And he's here to speak to you today and I'm him. So that's what Paul's doing. He's speaking in a very Hebrew way. But he's introducing this story, but he doesn't want to brag about himself. He wants to brag about the Lord. And he says, I know a man, but he's speaking about himself. And so since we know that, he says... Here's what happened to this man. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. So he's saying, I don't know if it was a dream or if I was awake, but I didn't realize it. But this is when God revealed this to me. He says, this man was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, which it's not lawful for man to utter. Interesting to me that Paul the apostle would be caught up into paradise. It says the third heaven I think in the next verse, now it's, it says it somewhere in here. Oh, in verse 2, he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, it, we think of levels of heaven, and there are many teachings about the levels of heaven, though they're not in Scripture. What I want to point out is when he talks about the third level of heaven, it's not like a video game where you like move on to the next one when you conquer it. It's more along the lines of the first heaven spoken of in the Bible is the skies. We look at the sky, we see the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. Well, of course, heaven itself will declare God's glory because he's there, right? But what about the heavens that we look at? You know, Lucy really loves to see the moon. Well, the moon is in the heavens, right? And we have all the stars and the other planets and the galaxies and all the terms we've come up with to describe, really, God's creation. We think of God's creation, sometimes we go, earth, but it's so much bigger than that. So we have earth, and then we have the sky above it, and then we have the atmosphere that separates it between the sky and then what? Space, which is a wonderful name for it because there's plenty of it. Space. So we've been to the heavens. We have airplanes, and we have skydivers, and we have, we, we've conquered the heavens in some ways. And then we also have been to the second heaven. We've been to the space around us. And then there's the third heaven. But just space itself, think about it, is very far away. They said, if you want to walk to the moon, if you could, if there was a bridge there, and you walk 27 miles a day, you could get there in about 20-some years. From here to the moon. 27 miles a day. Now, whatever the circumference of the earth is, divided by 27, it's not nearly that long. So that's a long distance, right? Just to get to the moon, which, by the way, has nothing there. Why would you walk there? But then, if you wanted to go a little bit further, you could get to some of the planets, and they take way longer. And I didn't do the math, so I won't bore you with that. But my point is, if you got to Mars, which would take many, 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 many years to fly there by rocket ship, you wouldn't be even off the front porch of God's creation. You'd still be on the front porch at Mars years away by rocket ship, driving at thousands of miles an hour. My point is, is that God's heavens are huge. So can you imagine what it would take to get to heaven, the third heaven? 
Now, we don't know. It doesn't really have like a distance. But the distance is pretty long considering the fact that we are sinful human beings and God is holy. Just the distance between sinfulness and holiness is a great, large, gargantuan, huger than the space between us and Mars gap. But Jesus has closed that gap by dying in our place, by freeing us from sin and the guilt of sin, the power of sin, and giving us a new life by changing us. Behold, all things old have gone away. We have become made new. And so when he talks about the third heaven, he's not talking about a stroll down the block. He's talking about a a gap of distance that is so wide that no man could travel it or even fathom how far it is. And yet what I want to point out to you is that in Scripture it says to be, to depart from this life, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord instantaneously. It says with a blink of an eye. And so I love that because here Paul gives an, an expression. He just gives us a little glimpse. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And he says, when I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So what I want to say is that it's interesting that Paul the Apostle won't utter anything that he saw there. And yet, people have these near-death experiences. They have these visions and they come back and what do they do? They write a book or their parents do. And there's movies made about it. And yet, Scripture seems to be pretty silent about what heaven is like. It it gives us a little bit of a glimpse with the temple and the tabernacle and how that's supposed to be a a model of heaven. But why do you think that God doesn't really describe to us heaven a whole lot? Well, I'm going to steal something from Skip Heitzig, which I listened to this week, and he said, describing heaven to someone and spending too much time devoted to it is like laying a piece of chocolate cake on the end of a table while a child is eating spinach over here and then saying, eat your spinach first be really difficult to eat the spinach when you know there's chocolate cake on the other end of the table. Another way I heard it described was this. He said, uh, describing heaven to people that are still on earth is like describing what a honeymoon is going to be like for a four-year-old. Meaning that describing to a four-year-old, hey, one day you're going to get married and you're going to enjoy your honeymoon. And he's like, ew, girls are gross. Like, you know, just the thought of it, it's weird. And so my point is, is that it's, it's something that we're not ready to receive yet. We won't be able to understand it even if it was told to us. And so Paul is basically, he's, he's kind of leaving it open-ended, but he says, I've had visions from the Lord. Chapter 11, he described that he was called by the Lord. Chapter 12, he's saying, God has revealed himself to me through visions. And so many people focus on visions and miracles and things like that, but what I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about today is the fact that visions are important. And what I mean by visions is God revealing himself to us. It may not be this high-definition dream where you get out and you're like, I need an interpretation. It can be simply just reading his word and him just revealing a truth to you that you didn't know before. And those are the things that anchor us to him through through life's daily trials. And so I I want to say that that's probably what kept Paul going through that list that we read and the suffering that he went through in chapter 11. And so here he says in verse 6, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. In other words, I don't want to boast too much because I don't want you to think that I'm any better than I really am. 
He says, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, God has given me, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Let me read that again. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, this is a trial that God allowed to happen in, in Paul's life. And unless we think that it was just like a thorn, like I was picking roses and I got pricked a little bit, the word that he uses there in the Greek, a thorn in the flesh, is like a nine or a ten inch tent pig. Something that's jabbed in your side that can kill you. So when he's talking about a thorn in the flesh, it wasn't just that he had a, a trial. Many people believe that this thorn in the flesh was a temptation, something he was given over to, like lust or greed or pride. It wasn't that. What he's saying is, because of all the things God revealed to me, so that I wouldn't become conceited or think more highly of myself than I should, God's allowed this trial to continue to be a thorn in my flesh. It rasps at me. It beats me up, but it keeps me humble. And many people have those, but that does not mean that the hand of blessing is not on them. That just means that the Lord's trying to keep him dependent upon the Lord. Because many times the gifts that God gives us, whether it's the ability to teach or to sing or to uh, love people uh, through hard times or whatever it might be, God always wants us to be dependent upon him when we use that gift. And so sometimes he has to make sure that we have a little bit of a limp. When uh, Jacob in the Old Testament, he was the younger brother of Esau, and he had been taken off, and when he came back, he had this great wealth, and God was going to bring him back into the, the land that he was going to give them. When Jacob came back, he had this interlude with God. He wrestled with God at night, and he was getting ready to meet up with his brother Esau, who he had basically cheap-shotted until he took off, because Esau wanted to kill him when he left. So here comes Jacob. He's been blessed by the Lord. He's got his wife and his other wives and all the craziness that went on in their family, and as he's coming back into the land, he knows his brother's coming to meet him with like 300 guys. So he's like, oh man, my big brother's going to beat me up. He's going to take all my stuff. So he sends this contingent ahead, and he says, tell them that I'm coming. It's like he used his family as a shield to make sure he didn't get destroyed. And as he's getting ready to come back to his brother, he spends all night, says, praying. But his prayer was not one of those like, oh, Lord, you're so good. It was, he was wrestling with God. He was in fear for his life. He was afraid. And so he started wrestling with the Lord. And it says when he was wrestling with the Lord, a physical man came and wrestled with him while he was praying. Now, it's hard for me to understand, but I believe this was incarnate Christ, Jesus, showing up to spend time with him. And it says there, that Jacob was holding on to the Lord saying, bless me, Lord, take care of me. I will not let go of you until I have your hand of blessing in my life. And it says there, he said, okay. And he touched the socket of his hip. And when he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, it says that basically it messed up his hip so that for the rest of his life, he had a limp. The rest of his life, he had this infirmity in his flesh that kept him humble. And so Jacob, the rest of his life, had a limp. You think, okay, God, he, he's praying, Lord, please protect me from my brother. And the Lord says, okay, and he weakens him. You would think that the Lord would like help him get a buff body and get really good at wielding a sword and be able to defend himself. But what he did instead is he said, I'm going to make you weak 
so that I can be strong in your life. So that when you go to your brother, you won't be mouthing or cheap shotting him, but you'll be humble and you'll treat him with grace. And you won't be that mouthing little brother that he had growing up. And so Paul here, he says this, and he says, God's given me a thorn in the flesh, lest I should be conceited. I need a thorn in the flesh because I am conceited naturally. I need to be weakened by the Lord. I need life circumstances to push in on me so that I won't be so much like me and I'll be more like Jesus. And that's what Paul needed as well. Verse 80 says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, I might, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, this is what the Lord told Paul. Paul the apostle said, Lord, please take this, this weakness, this brokenness away from me. And, and the Lord said to him, and in my Bible it's written in red, that means that Jesus spoke it. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, whose strength? God's strength. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That word perfect is mature. Paul, the only way that you're going to be mature, that you're going to lean upon me the most, is if you're weak, I will be made strong. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast, Paul says, in my weaknesses, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. (laughs) If I'm prideful, if I'm strong in myself, I don't need the Lord, or at least I don't think I do. So the Lord says, fine, I'll make you weak, and then you'll need me, and then you'll have me, and you won't be full of yourself, you'll be full of me, and that's when I will show myself strong on your behalf. If a surgeon picks up a beautifully brand new scalpel and does surgery with it, all the other nurses and doctors are like, well, good job, you did a good surgery. But if a surgeon is in the Congo and has a rusty scalpel and does a surgery, With no lights, no sanitation, and the patient lives, who gets the glory? The scalpel? No. That's an awesome surgeon. And no one ever goes, man, what a great job that scalpel did. No. They go, that guy did an amazing job. Only he could have done that. And so in the same way, God is the surgeon. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in needs in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, when I, then I am strong. Have you ever given thanks to God for your circumstances when they really stunk? Paul's like singing the praises of all of the things that have happened to him. He's bragging about it. Now, imagine this. Paul's preaching in a very affluent society. He says, my leaky eye... I praise the Lord for it because that leaky eye keeps me humble. And the Corinthians are going, that leaky eye embarrasses us. When you go to other places and you tell them that you're our pastor, we're embarrassed. And Paul says, I'm blessed by the Lord. You know how I know I'm blessed by the Lord? My eye leaks. Why is that? Because when I'm weak, God is strong. If anything good comes from my life at all, I can't take the the credit for it because it had to be the Lord because look at me. That's what Paul's saying. There's nothing great about me. The only thing that's great about me is that I'm weak. And because when I'm weak, God is strong. And so he says, verse 11, he comes back to this note. He says, I've become a fool. He kind of comes out of this whole bragging about all of his infirmities. He says to the Corinthians, he says, I've become a fool in boasting. You've compelled me. 
For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. He says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, first of all, forgive me because I shouldn't have even been boasting about any of that stuff. It's not in God's character to boast in that stuff. He says, for I ought to have been commended by you. You guys should be commending me. And yet you're not. He says, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles. In other words, all these people that have come to you and said, I'm not an apostle, but they are. I have excelled against them. I've stayed here amongst trials and tribulations. I stayed with you even though you mouthed me. I've, he stayed there for 18 months. Let's look real quick at the, uh, the time where Paul, the beginnings of the, the Corinthian church. We did this at the beginning of our study, but I think it's important that we do it now. I was going to go through all of the revelations that, that Paul had received from the Lord, but it seems like more important is to show them what he's talking about. In Acts chapter 18... Verse 1, it says, Paul departed from Athens, and he went to Corinth. And this was the first time he went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and he worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers, just like Paul. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he persuaded both Jews and Greeks meaning he persuaded them to follow Jesus. Verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Christ means, the Messiah, the, the chosen one, the king, the prince who would come to proclaim liberty. In verse 6, he says, But when they opposed him, and they blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Look, I've shared with you the truth, is what he's saying. He says, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So when he came to the Jews in Corinth, they did not receive him. They want to hear him. And so he says, That's fine. I've done my part. And for our part, our, the only thing that we can do is share the truth with people. If they don't receive it, that doesn't mean we need to stop sharing the truth. It means we need to go to a different audience. And Paul did this. He departed from there. And he entered the house of a certain man by the name of Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So he moved to his different audience. Verse 8 says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. So he, he left an audience that wouldn't receive him. He went to one that more than likely wouldn't receive him. And they did. They received his testimony. And many of the Corinthians, hearing what happened, believed, and they were baptized by faith. Now, verse 9. This is when the Lord speaks to Paul. He revealed himself. Because this still isn't a very exciting situation. Paul's been persecuted by the Jews the whole way. And now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Verse 9. Here's what it says. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Do not keep silent, for the biggest promise that God ever gives us, verse 10, I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. 
Why did Paul stay in Corinth? Was it because there was a couple of people that got saved? A family? Was it because the Jews didn't want to hear him? Why did Paul stay in Corinth? Because when God revealed himself, he said, I have many people in this city. I will be with you. I will protect you. And he continued there after hearing this. Notice the result of him hearing from the Lord. He continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. He stayed for 18 months. One family saved, but mostly people that rejected his message. And he stayed because he heard from the Lord. Happy is he who has had the instruction of the Lord revealed to him and does it. And so Paul stayed there. So then he says, When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul. They brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. So he's got opposition again. And verse 14 says, When Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat, and all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. He remained a good while amongst all the opposition that they had given him in Corinth because he heard from the Lord. What has God called you to do? Where has God called you to work? What family has he placed you in? We don't get to choose our family, right? How is he desiring to reach the world through your testimony? What is it that shuts you down from sharing your testimony? All kinds of stuff, right? In my own family, it's opposition. It's um, lack of interest, uh, aggravation, jealousy, you know, all kinds of stuff. Bitterness, uh, lack of belief on my own part that God can change people. You know, you get around people you love and you, they're your family and you're like, I don't, I don't know if God could ever change that. So what is it that keeps you down? Whatever it is for you. I'm sure there are other things that I've thought of. But let me tell you that if there are things that keep you down, there are also things that can keep you going. There are things that can embolden you to keep going even when it seems impossible. And let me tell you from the testimony of Paul here, all it was it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a going to a conference and getting all pumped up. It wasn't going to youth camp and, and getting to meet all kinds of other people that believe in the Lord. It was personally the Lord speaking to, to Paul. When was the last time that you needed a word of encouragement to keep going from the Lord and you spent time wrestling with God? If you will do that, let me tell you that you will have a testimony just like Paul. You won't be able to brag about your own greatness if anything, you'll brag about how weak you are, but how good God has been in your weaknesses. And if you will spend that time with the Lord, He desires so much to give you those few words of encouragement that you need to keep going. I don't know what your situation is. I know that for me, I need encouragement all the time, and I hardly ever go where I need to go the most, and that's the Lord. But if I will go to the Lord, if I will see the weaknesses and the situations that I hate as blessings from the Lord, and then I'll go to him for the, the fuel I need to get through them, 
what will happen is not only will I be blessed, but all those who hear me will be blessed as well. Many of them will come to faith in the Lord. Some of them will reject me. But it won't matter because I'll have been faithful. Their blood will be upon their own hands. I will have done my part. So Paul shares with them, I've had visions from the Lord and that's what's kept me going. I've become a fool in boasting. He says, now, verse 14, for the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours, but I seek you. Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm not in it for what you have to offer me. Like those false apostles, I'm in it for you. I want to see you flourish. It's like a gardener that goes out in the garden. Flowers don't produce any fruit. They do produce beauty. But a gardener wants to see that beauty, and he'll do everything he can so those flowers will grow. And Paul says, I will not be a burden to you when I come to you again, for I do not seek what you offer me, but I seek you. I want to see you do well. I want to see you flourish in the faith. He says, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents. Paul's already called himself a parent to these believers. The children ought not to lay up for the parents or save for the parents, but the parents are to do that for the children. And I will very gladly, he says, spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. He says, you Corinthians, I love you more and you love me less. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. He's being sarcastic. I didn't catch you by cunning. I just loved you. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? He says, I urged Titus and I sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? He says, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. We've said before that word means strengthening. We do this to bolster your faith, to strengthen you. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul says, look, I only came because I was called, because God revealed himself to me and I kept going. He says, but here's the deal, I'm concerned for you, because if you don't think I'm an apostle, you might reject what I taught you, and you might continue to be caught up in your sins. And he says, I don't want you to be caught up in your sins anymore. I want you to be set free. When I come to you, I'd love to see you flourishing, not dying out. And he says, not only that, when I come to you, I don't want to correct you. I don't want to bring the rod of correction. I want to come and just see what God has done. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to receive the blessing of you being faithful to the Lord. He says, I'm in it for your own good. Receive me. So, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Paul's heart as a shepherd.